You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, a big warm congratulations to Mr. Graham Mertz. What a great day for him. I unfortunately didn't get to watch the whole game, but it was nice to hear that not only did uh, things continue to go well, they got a lot better after I went to, to Betty Bye. For those of you that maybe don't know what I'm talking about, Graham Mertz took over as the quarterback for the Wisconsin Badgers. This was their first game out. He was uh, 20 of 21. His one incompletion was a drop, so he was actually perfect. Zero incomplete passes. Threw for 247 yards, 11.8 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Which is crazy when you threw five touchdowns only throwing 20 completions, meaning one in every four completions. Essentially, one in every four passes was a touchdown pass. That's pretty wild, and I was excited because uh, PFF already has their grades up for college, and sometimes, and, and granted, the games, the uh, the throws that I watched, although I liked him, I liked his athleticism, not only does he look fast, he looks physical, he's a big dude, 6'3", 215, I mean, that's actually pretty standard for a quarterback, but he just, he looks big and he can move, there was a ton of zip on those passes, I really was liking the way that he was throwing the football, but there were a lot of short passes. But I come in here, he was the highest graded guy uh, on the team, 91.9 overall grade, 92.9 passing grade. So PFF had no issues, there was no question about um, the way in which he threw. So then the next question I had naturally was, okay, did he throw anything beyond five yards? Because I'm assuming he did, but I didn't really see it. He did. Six of his 20 completions came beyond 10 yards. Four of those, so roughly 20% of his passes, were beyond 20 yards. He was two for two in the deep middle portion of the field for 67 yards and two touchdowns. So both passes in the deep middle, which averaged about 33 yards each, went for touchdowns, 158.3 passer rating. He was also two for two deep left, 57 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So he was four for four for 124 yards, I think. Quick math, don't know, but it was a lot. So very happy for him, but one of the reasons I'm really excited about it is it feels like vindication for something that fans are clamoring for it and you can't under ex- explain why it's not happening and then when it happens it's magical and you just feel like you were right all along. Do, do you kind of know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time I heard about Graham Mertz. He was a very, very highly... T- I, I was, it was actually kind of a coincidence. I didn't hear about him going to Wisconsin. I happened to be looking at the highest recruited quarterbacks, probably because I was looking at who potential quarterbacks to replace Aaron Rodgers could be because the timeline matches up for about the Graham Mertz um, era of quarterbacks. Anyways, I'm just looking at the highest recruited high school kids at quarterback, and Wisconsin had one of the highest recruited quarterbacks, which blew me away because they never have good quarterbacks. No good quarterbacks go there. Running backs, absolutely. Offensive linemen, you betcha. Quarterbacks, nah. That doesn't happen, which Badger fans have got to be really excited. I'm somewhat of a marginal Badger. I'm not a big college football fan, but... When I moved to Madison, I made the commitment I am officially a Badgers fan. I also happen to like Alabama, just because I always have, and my cousin just started going to school there, so I've got dual allegiances. But anyways, as soon as I saw that, I thought, this dude is going to start day one, because, again, the Badgers don't generally have good quarterbacks. One of the best quarterbacks in the country went to Wisconsin. I can't wait. And then he didn't play, and it's like, well, that's kind of weird, but 
I guess, next year, and then he wasn't supposed to play. And it's like, what, is he bad? What is happening here? I don't understand what's going on. Why isn't he playing? Then there was some kind of a fluke injury popped up, and only because of this injury, Jack Cohen is not going to be starting, and, and we're going to hand the reins over to Graham Mertz, which I think, at least myself, but I have to assume a lot of other people were thinking, yeah, duh, why didn't you do this a long time ago? No disrespect to Jack Cohn. He was the sixth highest graded guy on the entire team last year. He did a fine job at quarterback. Hilariously, um, Graham Mertz only started two games. He was the fourth highest graded. <laughs> it was Jonathan Taylor, then uh, Tyler Biotish, and then Quintez Cephas, and then Graham Mertz were the four highest graded uh, players on the Badgers offense last year. Obviously, small sample size for Mertz, but it, it, it should have just been, you know, a glimpse into the future, I would think, but, you know, whatever. But the point is, that brings us to this year. That brings us to many different examples, but the one that I can't get out of my head is A.J. Dillon. Now, again, I don't mean to say anything negative about the guys that we have, but I'm watching a guy that every time he's touched the ball, I think he's been impressive. A guy that is built to just smash everybody in the face. A guy that is built to be a Matt LaFleur running back. Everything seems in line and ready to go, but they don't want to give him the ball. They treat him like a backup quarterback. I mean, literally, the only time we really ever see him is when our quarterback goes and sits down, either because we're annihilating someone or getting annihilated, the backup quarterback comes in and hands the ball off to A.J. Dillon into a stacked box. That's not entirely true, but that's the majority of the snaps he's taken has been that way. And while part of me is is sitting back thinking, man, maybe something's wrong with him, maybe something's not quite right, the other part of me is saying, I just think this is a coach who's not making a good decision, which does happen on occasion. And it is funny when you listen to guys question the coach and he gives an answer that's not quite as profound as you would expect. You expect there to be some deeply intellectual answer about why A.J. Dillon isn't quite ready. Instead, you get, "Eh, I don't know, I mean, he's the next guy up, Uh, you know, almost as if he hadn't even considered it. I I don't know, he's our number three running back. I, I, I didn't really build into our game plan, when does the number three guy get the ball? That didn't really come up in the meeting all that much. But... Presumably, and we'll see what happens with Mr. Aaron Jones, not that I want him to be injured because I absolutely do not. I would love to have him in this game. I think Aaron Jones goes for at least 150 yards in this game if he plays. But therein also lies another question. Why bother when he has a muscle strain to put him out there when Jamal Williams is playing really good football, especially as a blocker and a receiver. And you've got A.J. Dillon, who's been fantastic every time he stepped on the field. I think we can take a day off against literally the worst run defense in football and trust that the guys that we have can can carry the load. And I do think that will be the plan, and I do think that'll be a large part of why. I mean, if it is 50-50, they may already know the answer. Either he's going to be full go, he's fine now, or he's, you know completely done. He can't run no matter what the situation is. But I think if it comes down to he could, but maybe we shouldn't push it, I just think he needs to sit. And that leads me into what I believe about AJ. And and, and part of me genuinely, I'm, I don't, I don't, concern maybe isn't the right word, although that is what I'm thinking, but I'm trying to think of a more, um, I guess, respectful word. I have a, a gut instinct that says Jamal is going to be the main guy. AJ Dillon will come in to spell him once in a while. I love Jamal Williams. My son loves Jamal because he's the guy that dances, which is coincidentally exactly what my son does when the Packers do stuff. So to find out there's also a player that gets up and dances when good stuff happens, he's all about that. And look, maybe this is all for nothing. Maybe he's no good, but again, there's a Graham Mertz feel to it. You know A.J. Dillon 
was, I believe, the highest graded running back in college football last year. He was tied with Zach Moss, 91.3 overall grade. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's something, isn't it? Graded out higher than Jonathan Taylor, graded out higher than Travis Etienne, higher than Najee Harris, Chuba Hubbard, Clyde Edwards Elair, J. Um, that guy doesn't matter, J.K. Dobbins. It's interesting. Did you know right now in the NFL, if we don't look, obviously he hasn't taken as many snaps, but do you know where he ranks right now of, among all running backs? In order, it's Raheem Mostert is number one in the NFL. Daryl Henderson is number two. Austin Eckler is number three. A.J. Dillon is number four. Just ahead of Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry. And again, he's done this, similar to what he had to endure in college all day long, behind nothing but stacked boxes. Because in Boston College, they had nothing but A.J. Dillon on that team, so they just stacked the box and he did his best. Again, I don't know. Maybe he's no good. Maybe he's just the worst. I, you know, it's certainly been up and down. He is, you know, averaging five yards per carry against, again, stacked boxes. But, you know, whatever. He is six foot, 250 pounds. Would have been nice to be a little bit more physical against, you know, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who decided to come out and play physical football. But we decided not to. We went with our smallest running back, hoping that he can find seams and, and, and whatnot, which I was uh, talking to uh, my buddy Blaine yesterday, and he brought up a really good point. The issue with last week largely was the fact that we had hat on a hat but could not block their linebackers. It's not the worst thing in the world if they're going to have a guy get to somebody to have A.J. Dillon in a one-on-one matchup with a 230-pound linebacker. Because as, as big and strong as linebackers tend to be anyways, when you take a 235-pound linebacker and put him up against Aaron Jones, more than likely Aaron Jones is going to go down. I like my chances with 250-pound A.J. Dillon at full speed to maybe get through that tackle. Maybe if it's just one-on-one, we still got a shot. If nothing else, maybe he bowls over that guy and gets two or three, as opposed to losing one, as he's done all year long. So, I, you know, again, I don't know. Full, Fully understand that he may be not a very good running back, and all this is just for nothing. But it just feels like there's something there, and I would really like to just know yes or no. And to give him an opportunity against the worst rushing defense in football, with the Packers' offensive line doing a fantastic job of run blocking, meaning A.J. Dillon will have holes to run through, which we saw one time against Tampa Bay, the first time I've ever seen him with a hole. You may remember he gained 20 yards on that carry. Not that he can't get big gains. I mean, he had a 12-yard run in Detroit when they clearly were just trying to stop the run. But it'd be nice to see a couple holes, and there's going to be some against the Texans. And as much as Jamal would be nice because you got a guy that can block and be a receiver and is capable of running through holes, I like the upside of an A.J. Dillon. It doesn't flip things either way. It doesn't change us from a team that's going to miss the Super Bowl to a team that's going to win the Super Bowl if A.J. Dillon is Derrick Henry. I don't think it changes that because Aaron Jones is, is a very talented running back, especially when you factor in the receiving and all that. I'm just, I'm just making a point. I just want to know if we got something. Call it more curiosity than anything. Although, if Aaron Jones doesn't play, I'm going to be a little bit more insistent because I know for a fact Jamal Williams is not going to be that guy as a running back. He can do fine, and he can do a lot more than A.J. Dillon, but I'd like to find out. Also, maybe throw him one. Maybe throw A.J. Dillon. Just see what he can do. I don't know. Why not? Nobody's expecting it. You get them all to load up. A little play action. Leak A.J. Dillon. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. If nothing else, it'll make everybody in the A.J. Dillon crowd, including myself, be quiet. 
If he goes out and he doesn't perform well, then we all have to just stop talking. Although then the new crowd pops up of this was a terrible pick and blah, 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 which it doesn't necessarily mean either. But, you know, just do it, man. I just, I just want to see it so bad. Because, again, there are markers that say he might be one of the better running backs in football, but we're not going to play him. Like, just put him on the field! I just want to know. Anyways, thank you very much to Mr. Brian Hahn. Yes, that's Coach Hahn, who decided not only is he going to make some awesome videos, he's going to jump in on Patreon. So thank you very much. I think I said thank you to Aaron Nelson, but I'm going to say it again in case I forgot. Thank you to Aaron Nelson for bumping up your pledge, which is always an option. My number one goal here is to get the listeners to jump in for a dollar a month, because I feel like that is a really small ask. I think it's a very reasonable thing to ask. It's a very easy thing to do, but not everybody's going to do it. So if you're doing a buck and you're like, you know what, I'll pick up the tab for a few other people, you can always just bump it. It's just an option. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Also, I'm going to be doing some things. The plan is primarily through Patreon. I've got two different shows that are coming up, um, video shows that I think are going to be broadcast first in Patreon and then out to other areas. It's a convoluted thing that we still have to test out. I believe today we're doing a test. But the, the, the point is, it's going to happen first in Patreon, so if there's any um, interaction, in other words, you want to ask the guest questions, you're going to have to be on Patreon in order to do so. That's sort of the plan. Although you can watch in other places. But thank you very much for, uh, for jumping in on that. As always, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your kids. And when I say tell your kids, remember, you don't have to ask them. You get to tell them to do whatever you want. It's one of the perks. Anyways, let's take a break here, and we'll look a little bit more uh, specifically at Packers versus Texans. Well, apparently the Iron Jock tongue twisters have sold out, but they still got some amazing stuff over at Iron Jock. The polo shirts, the vests, the workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. They're ready to rock and roll over at ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C. Extremely comfortable. Very high quality. Enduratec fabric, which is wicking and fast-drying. Breathable anti-static. Eliminates odor. Because of science, I should just post their video. That way I can, you know, just be like, I don't have to explain it to you. I already showed you. And if you didn't see it, get in the Facebook group. I don't know. We'll flush that plan out. There is also their Enduratec Plus fabric, which is in their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets. What's Enduratec Plus? It's all the Enduratec stuff, plus it's water repellent. See that? So make sure you are following Iron Jock on Facebook. Follow them on Twitter at Iron Jock or... Better yet, just go to ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Check out their line of men's athletic wear. Find something that would help make your life a little bit better. And uh, buy it, because you deserve it, champ. Anyways, let's talk about my bookie while we're at it, at talking about things. My bookie, where dreams come true. I made that up. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it'd be a good tagline. Could be. I'll stick, I'll stick to the thing here. Between the NFL college ball and MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch, and with thousands of lines available and all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. I feel like mine was better. But seriously, whether you're into parlays, spreads, prop bets, whatever it is, head on over to mybookie.ag. You can bet on literally anything in any way possible, including live betting. Just make sure when you do it, you use promo code OVERTIME. After you sign up, you put down that deposit because they're going to double that first deposit. Also should help to inform how big of a deposit you use because it's not every time you put money in, it's just the first time. So it's just something to think about. So head over to mybookie.ag, use promo code OVERTIME to claim that dollar-for-dollar match. Make Sunday even better. Not only are we going to beat the Texans, but you're going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to get 10% because you're a good guy like that. MyBookie, where dreams come true.
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I made some claims about the Houston Texans. This is kind of the hard thing. I want to do something similar to what I've done before, but I just I just can't because I feel like I know less about these teams now than if we had started off early, which maybe it was just a misinformed um, view if you look at the first four-ish games or whatever. The problem now is I've got two different pictures of the Packers, two different pictures of the Texans, and I don't know which of those two are going to be facing which of the other two. I've mentioned that the Packers obviously had a historic start to the season, maybe the best offense that we've ever seen, but also last week happened. And and you can look at it, you can go any way with that. You can say, well, that was a fluke and they're going to get right back on track and everything's going to be fine. You can say maybe something's fundamentally broken. Some people are going down the path of saying they got exposed and figured out, which I don't necessarily buy, but it's, I, see, I guess, maybe partly possible. Then you've got the Texans on the other side, who are 1-5, absolutely horrible, arguably the worst defense in all of football, but also seem to have gotten better over the last two weeks. They are, um, I mean, they lost last week, but they're 1-1 one one over the last two weeks, and I thought they looked somewhat decent uh, last week, despite the loss. Keep in mind, they lost to the Tennessee Titans 36-42, to and that was an overtime loss. So they were very close to being 2-0 and over the last two weeks after firing their head coach. Something clearly is different. And really, when we talk about the Texans, I think it's somewhat obvious what it is that's different. I think Romeo Cronell is, is doing a good job. Um, apparently, he's going to the players and kind of talking to them and trying to c- uh, collaborate a bit about uh, how the offense works. There's a lot of talk about the running back that they went and acquired who's very talented but is not necessarily being used properly. Seems as though now he's starting to be used a little bit more properly. The biggest difference isn't that the defense got better because it didn't. It's a terrible defense, but the offense is different. In the first three weeks, uh, four weeks under Bill O'Brien, the score for the offense, 20, 16, 21, and 23. And that's against... um, Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, and Vikings. Clearly, the Steelers have a good defense. I don't know about the Baltimore's pretty good, too. That was their lowest score. But the Chiefs and the Vikings, not so much. And they scored 20 and 23 against those two teams. Even if you're all in on the Chiefs' defense, fine. The Vikings legitimately have one of the worst defenses in football. They only scored 23 points. And by the way, the Tennessee Titans are not worse at defense than a lot of these other teams that were listed. But the last two weeks, 
They scored 30 points, which is the first time they cracked 23. They went all the way up to 30, and then the following week, 36 points. Again, it's still a loss, but they went from averaging like 19 points a game to averaging 33 points a game over the last two weeks. The defense, though, is the the biggest difference, or I shouldn't say the biggest. It's, it's the most consistent thing. They did score uh, or allow only 14 points to the Jaguars, but I think we can more or less rule them out. Not that the Jaguars don't have some ability to score on occasion, but when you're comparing that to the Chiefs, the Ravens, Steelers are kind of iffy, the Vikings, the Titans, and by the way, the Packers, you're looking at scores of 34, 33, 28, 31, and 42. Now, thanks to the Jacksonville Jaguars, this isn't the worst defense in terms of points and yards and whatnot, but they are ranked 26th in points, 30th in yards, uh, 31st in first downs allowed, They are 29th in turnovers with only 4. They are 26th in passing touchdowns, having allowed 13. Uh, 31st in interceptions with only 1. 22nd in net yards per attempt passing. They're allowing 6.7 yards per attempt. Uh, 32nd in rushing yards. Dead last, 1,065 yards. They're 32nd in yards per attempt. So not only is it, yeah, but they get run on very, you know, the most. They, they, uh... 31st. In other words, second most teams run against them. So that's why it's so many yards. No, they're dead last in yards per attempt. They allow 5.4 yards per attempt on the ground. 20th in rushing touchdowns with eight. Dead last in time of possession. So so here's the thing. The real matchup for me in this game comes down to the Packers defense against the Texans offense. If, if the I don't see how this isn't a massive bounce back game for the Packers. And it's it, to be completely honest, and I'll say right here and now so that there's no weaseling out later, this is a massive indictment for the Packers offense if this is not a big bounce back game because everything about this is perfect. Matt LaFleur likes to run the ball. He also likes to build off of that. They're going to be able to run the ball with relative ease. This is This is a horrific team at stopping the run. They also are terrible at uh, controlling the clock. They are dead last in average time of possession per drive. Three uh, minutes and 20 seconds. The Packers dominate in time of possession. That's one of the things that Matt LaFleur really likes to do is to take his time down the field. The Packers currently fifth in that category at two minutes and 34 seconds per drive. I'm sorry, no, that's a lie. They're fifth on defense. They're number one on offense, uh, almost identical, three minutes and 20 seconds. On average is what they get. That's also what the Texans are giving, so it's probably going to be more than that. Although, you know, I suppose there's only a certain amount of time that it takes to get down the field, probably roughly 3 minutes and 20 seconds. But the point is, the Packers should be able to execute their game plan. Whatever it is we want to do, we should be able to do it. The Texans got inside Matt LaFleur's head, Aaron Rodgers' head. They didn't allow the Packers to execute their game plan, and they very quickly got away from it, and I think that was somewhat problematic. They started to look like the old Mike McCarthy spread them out, run down the field kind of offense. This needs to be get back to fundamentals. Get back to what you did the first four weeks. Dictate to the Texans. They should be able to do it, and they should be able to do it with a lot of success. Now, there's a lot of injuries we have to look at as well, but I'm just talking in broad strokes here. Generally speaking, this is what should happen. So again, the question then becomes, what is our defense going to be able to do against the Texans? The Texans currently, despite having a terrible start to the season, despite being um, a 1-5, and five, despite scoring very few points the first four weeks, again, are, are starting to have a little bit of a revival here. I would point to total points and yards, but again, when, when the first four weeks are so bad, it, it kind of skews it a bit. They're 21st in point. But again, my concern is what the Texans are today. And maybe it's a fluke. Maybe it's just because the Jaguars' defense is so bad and, and I don't know, the Titans... I don't know. Why did the Titans allow 36 points? I'm not, I don't know. 
So, I mean, if we want to assume that the last couple of weeks have been a fluke and they're going to be what they were the first four weeks, then the Packers win this easily, and it's not really worth discussing this. But I, I want to look at what happens if this is the team that scores 30 points to 36 points a game, somewhere in the, the let's call it, mid-30s range. This comes down to, I mean, because because the Packers are going to be able to score roughly that. I mean, at their best against a bad defense, we're talking maybe like 40-ish, so Unless our defense intervenes, this is a situation where our offense does a great job, and I still don't know if we win this game. Because 35 points is a great job, and it's possible the score is 35 to 38 or something, right? This has to be a situation where the defense takes some kind of a stand. It just has to be. Because, you know, points and all that aside, right now the Green Bay Packers are ranked as the fourth best offense. The Texans are ranked as sixth. Eighth best passing team. Pick on their offensive line. They've got right now the fourth best pass blocking offensive line apparently according to pff in football the packers are sixth fifth best receiving group i mentioned their wide receivers all look pretty good randall cobb is like 50th he's their third wide receiver number one pass blocking offensive lineman in football right now is laramie tunsell pretty good pickup i'd say now they've got some issues they've got some other players that can be exploited and whatnot but again that comes down to our defense actually having to step up and do something about it has to do with our defensive coordinator making a concerted effort. We're going to get to the quarterback. We're not going to try to get cute. We're going to get aggressive. We're not going to drop two 310-pound linemen into the middle of the field, standing next to each other, holding hands with no wide receivers in the area for no reason whatsoever. And so, again, it's it's got more talent than we're used to along the Houston offensive line, but there's clearly opportunities to exploit this team. So anyways, now would be a good time to interject with the injury report before we look at uh, the specific matchup. The uh, Packers got a lot of names here. That doesn't mean a lot of these guys aren't going to play. They just, you know, for whatever reason, they are on the list here. Uh, for example, Jair is on the list, but he's fine. He's been full participation all, all week. He should be good to go. Uh, Chris Barnes, same thing. He's been limited all week, but I don't see his game status as even questionable. So I think he's a full go. Rashawn Gary, likewise, seems to be full go. Uh, Mercedes Lewis seems to be good. Zadarius seems to be good. Equinemius seems to be good. Um, the questionables we have, Preston Smith with a shoulder, Robert Tanyan, or excuse me, Tanyan. I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm just I'm just being honest. I know I always say I'm not going to, and then I slowly evolve into doing it, like Mekhi Becton and whatnot. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But he's questionable with an ankle. Corey Lindsley, questionable with a back. That's a big one. Montrevious with a foot, Aaron Jones obviously the biggest one with a calf, or at least the biggest uh, question mark right now in terms of, I don't know, moving the needle. Doubtfuls we have are uh, David Bakhtiari, which is probably the biggest. Um, I don't know that they have any necessarily elite pass rushers that I'm scared of, but that's irrelevant when you consider the massive drop-off. Obviously uh, pretty troubling there. Kevin King is also doubtful, as well as Darnell Savage. And again, it's not so much that Kevin King and Darnell Savage have been all that impressive, but you worry about who's there behind them. Um, I am a fan of Josh uh, Jackson. I think he has shown some things, but he's also just extremely volatile, although so is Kevin King. But, you know, um, you also look at the fact that, okay, with Savage out, you got to assume Green's going to be in there, but there are situations with Savage, Amos, and Green. And so, you know, again, you get into the issue of the Texans with a pretty stout offense with a great quarterback and some really talented wide receivers against uh, pretty inexperienced and lesser talented DBs. I don't know if it's going to be Will Redmond or Vernon Scott taking a large portion of the snaps, probably Redmond, but I don't know. 
things are getting pretty slim. It's also not good that you look at the bye week as a time where everybody can kind of recharge. And um, the fear is when you have an early bye week, you know, guys start to deteriorate over the course of the year without any kind of a break. And the fact that we are fresh out of a bye and half this team is is pretty banged up, um, that's rough. So hopefully we can get through this week, get some guys healed up and get back to it. Injuries are going to be part of it, but you, you want it to be... You want it to be minor enough that guys start coming back, not they just keep falling and falling and falling, and by the end of the year, you're missing half your roster. Keep it manageable. If we're going to lose Bakhtiari, that's terrible, but fine. We get Kenny Clark back. We got Devontae back. You know, Corey Lindsley's healthy. Let, you know, let's let's compensate with that. And then, you know, when the next guy goes down, when Zadarius misses a week, well, we got Bakhtiari back and Rashawn back and Preston back. And again, Kenny's still there. You know what I'm saying? But it's still scary. So anyways, that's the background as of right now. Looking at the specific matchup, the biggest concern I have is the fact that the defensive front has shown nothing. We get excited about Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith against a bad offensive line. The fact of the matter is Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark are grading out as some of the worst linemen in football. Um, Zadarius Smith is 78th out of 110 edge rushers. Kenny Clark is not even listed because he hasn't played enough snaps. However... If you just remove filters, um, geez, out of 177 defensive tackles, Kenny Clark is ranked 137th. Literally one of the worst. And as much as you can look at it and say, you know, yeah, but that shows how much better this defense can and will get because you know Kenny isn't going to stay there. At the same time, it still is frustrating because we are creeping up on the halfway mark of the season and we don't have our best players showing up yet. If you want to not show up on week one, uh, maybe week two. Okay, fine. I'll, I can I can kind of cut you some slack for a while, but you know, if if you're gonna be big money Kenny, right? Big money Kenny Clark. You're gonna make all this money. You're gonna do all these great things, and you know, not really put forward anything. I mean, in in two games that he's played, we're talking 55 snaps, 25 attempts at getting to the quarterback. You know how many pressures he has? Zero. 25 attempts, zero pressures. Now, it's a super small sample size. I think a pretty good number at this point would be somewhere between three and four. He has zero. Again, we get all over Rashawn Gary because he's no good. He's a bum. He's a loser. He only got one pressure in 10 attempts. Again, the the only thing you would expect in 10 attempts is somewhere between one and two. One would be 10%, two would be 20%. One is acceptable, two is freakishly crazy. So, yeah, you know, willing to give Kenny more time, but again, it's week seven, dude. (laughs) Week seven. We have yet to see a single pressure from Kenny Clark in week seven. And so that's going to be the biggest thing, in my opinion. Mike Pettin has got to unleash the hounds, whatever that means. Whatever kind of cutesy nonsense you're trying to do, I don't know what you're doing. Knock it off. Kenny Clark, Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, there's more than enough talent and athleticism to make something happen, and nothing is happening right now. Again, the only guy that has an even slightly respectable pass rush rate is Rashawn Gary, and he's only at 11.7%, which is not that good. So that, I mean, that, I'm, I'm going to lay it all right there. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, linebackers are going to be a factor. Yes, our safeties and our corners are going to be a factor. Hopefully Jair doesn't fall off. He's still the number one corner in football right now via PFF. Yeah, I hope our offense bounces back. Most important thing in my mind, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, Zadarius, and Preston Smith assaulting this offensive line and getting at Deshaun Watson. 
Not only does that make the biggest difference in this game, it makes the biggest difference in the success of this team going forward, not just this year with their Super Bowl aspirations, but next year and the year after that and the year after that. Because if we wasted all this money on not just Preston, but Zadarius and as well as an early first-round pick on Rashawn Gary, that's devastating. That's really bad. If it's not a waste, fine. Then halfway through the season, we should have better production than this. If I'm the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, that's the biggest thing for me for deciding whether or not my defensive coordinator is going to stay. We have invested so much, and, and GM, by the way, we have invested so much in this defense in particular, and especially this defensive front, because that's what you wanted. We got exactly the guys that you wanted, that you told us you'd be able to work with. We have them, we paid them, we drafted them, they're right there, make it work. Enough is enough. We'll figure out the linebacker situation and the safety situation, all this different stuff. Gee, what are we going to do at corner? Do we keep Kevin King? Do we, I don't know. Is Josh Jackson good enough? I don't care. If these guys can't perform, we're in a lot of trouble. And so far, through half of the season, they've done nothing. Zedarius has had one good year this whole, one good game this whole year. That's, that's the biggest red flag of the season. Fix it today. Well, tomorrow. Because, yeah, Randall Cobb will probably pick on Sullivan a little bit. Cooks is probably going to annihilate Jackson. Maybe Alexander can can hold down Fuller a little bit. Um, the running back probably going to be able to do some stuff because our defense isn't very good at stopping the run. Again, if we get these the, the pass rush going, we win this game. If they're wrecking stuff, if they're getting into the backfield and, and flustering Watson and messing up all the, the, the routes that the wide receivers are running and the timing of the offense, Packers win this game. Unless, of course, there's a complete collapse on the offense, which is its own problem. But I'm not too concerned about that. That's it. Because right now, we went from having one of the best defensive lines in football to arguably the worst. Gary has a 54 overall grade. Kenny Clark has a 51 overall grade. Zadarius has a 55 overall grade. Excuse me, Preston has a 55. Zadarius is a 70, but that's only because of one good game. That's on top of our slot corner having a 60 overall grade. Uh, Josh Jackson have a 43 grade, Barnes with a 51, Raven Green with a 50, Darnell Savage with a 55, Amos with a 63. Jair Alexander is the number one corner in football with a 90 overall grade. Only one other person has a 70, and that's Zadarius because of one game. We, we are teetering, which is frustrating because, again, I believe this is still an elite offense, and I think we're going to see it. We are teetering on historically bad defense, and there's no reason for it. There's no reason for that. This is very different than bad defenses we've had in the past where you look at the personnel and just go, ugh. Adrian Amos is better than this, but he's not putting anything on the field. Darnell Savage should be at least a little better than this. He was last year. As a rookie, he was better than this. Rashawn Gary was better last year. Kenny Clark has always been better. Zadarius and Preston have always been better. If, if, if anything, Jair is overcoming some horrible stuff to be as good as he is. Thank goodness we got him. Could you imagine if a rival got Jair and it was actually with a good defensive coordinator, how good he'd be right now? Hoo-wee! I, I, you know, again, I, I think the Packers win the game. I, I think the offense is going to roll over this defense. They better. But um, I, I, that's that's the sticking point for me, man. If this is the offense winning, and that, that was my prediction you'll see in the newsletter, was basically an extremely close game in which we barely edge out the Texans in two or in a very high-scoring game uh, where both teams score a lot of points. But if that happens, I'm not going to be super happy about it. The defense has to be better. It's, it's beyond unacceptable. Well beyond. In a year in which the offense is playing this well, in a year in which the rest of the NFL is struggling as much as they are, 
there is a real genuine opportunity for the Packers to step up and, and win a Super Bowl, and yet elite talent cannot find a way to play on an even average level, that's how this is going to go. We're being handed a Super Bowl and we're going to hand it right back because our defensive coordinator can't take elite talent and make them even mediocre. That's not okay. So, you know, got to figure it out. Laramie Tunsil's a freak, but that's about it. The right tackle, Titus Howard, is a joke. Uh, Zach Fulton, the guard, is is bad. Nick Martin, the center, you know, mediocre, I guess. Senio Calamente, not good. Outside of Tunsil, there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to make things happen and to rebound. Um, statement game, not just for Mike Pettin, but for Zadarius and Preston. Uh, Preston, who desperately needs to show something so that he can keep his job. Kenny Clark, who is recently uh, you know, a very highly paid person. Somebody's got to step up. And so go on. I, I, again, I'm... I'm, I'm conflicted because I'm really excited and I'm really expecting a big bounce back game from our offense and I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to see A.J. Dillon and learn that we've got another really premium talent and I'm, I'm optimistic, although I don't really expect a trade to happen. I hear the Packers are making calls and they're trying to find good value, which the reason the Packers don't usually participate around this time isn't because they're not trying. They're always trying. They're always calling, right? If you're, They're calling about wide receivers. See, they really want a wide receiver. No, they're calling about wide receiver just like they're calling about absolutely everybody. The point is, though, can they find the talent for the right value? And the answer usually is no, because again, value just is is not a thing that usually exists around this time. And so you've got to be willing to do things that are outside of your comfort level. But to what degree are the Packers, will, <coughs> excuse me, willing to do that? Usually not to a very high degree. So we'll 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 see. The Packers are buyers, although there there is an opportunity here to sell. I would not be super upset if, uh, you know, maybe to sweeten the pot, we threw a Preston Smith in the mix or something. It seems like the Packers don't want to do that because, again, I think Rashawn Gary is better than Preston Smith, yet Rashawn is getting 10 snaps and Preston is getting like 40. It just blows my mind. Maybe it's to keep his value up because if you bench the guy, how much are you going to be able to trade him for? I don't know, but we'll save the 4D chess to uh, the, the head coach and the GM. But again, I'm, I'm conflicted because... On one hand, I, I genuinely believe we, we have the potential to see magic. Um, on the other hand, I'm, I'm worried that what we're going to see is a squandering of what should be the best team in football. I'm worried that the offense isn't going to put its best foot forward. It isn't going to take a full step to regaining what they had. And the defense, which should be savage, if you will, with, again, I can list the names if you'd like, but I won't. With all these guys, they should be at least a top half defense, you know, top 15-ish. And you can probably argue that they are based on some metrics, but I, I just, I don't know that I would even give them that. I think a lot of it has to do with the offense keeping the other team's offense off the field and whatnot. I just, if you told me they're a top half defense, I would say, yeah, but they don't deserve it. They're more than capable enough. And that, that's, the, that's the exciting thing, but also the disappointing thing. They're more than capable enough of being a very good defense that has the ability to carry this team into the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. But we got to see it. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of sitting here with this microphone in my face saying, yeah, but just a mad, I mean, Kenny Clark's not going to be bad forever. They're going to be so good once they figure it out. We're halfway through the season. I'm not waiting anymore. Put it on tape or admit you can't and find a different job, Michael Petton. I don't know what kind of philosophy you have. I'm sure you can run circles around me and defensive concepts or whatever, but at this point, give me a Madden controller and I can do better. 
Don't overthink this. You've got all the talent you need. Don't make it so complicated. I don't want to see defensive linemen dropping. What, what, what could possibly be the benefit of that? They're terrible cover guys, and you're taking away your pass rush. Are they really going to break up a pass? How? Again, I, we all saw the B.J. Raji pick. That was cool, but that was a fluke, man. You didn't expect him to drop, and he threw it just as he was dropping. But, I mean, once they drop and they stand there, they're useless. Unless there's like an instant... I mean, it, it, there's like that immediate, like, shoot, I was going to throw there, but now I can't because I, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, boy. But if you don't get a pass rush, then he has plenty of time to survey the field. And guess what? You're not going to get a pass rush because nobody's rushing the quarterback. It's a stupid strategy. If you're going to get cute and just rush two, then just bring out extra DBs. It's still a stupid strategy, but at least you got somewhat of an opportunity. At least you're covering more ground with people that have the ability to, to knock away a ball. This was not meant to be hostile. I just, you know, I'm looking at the defense and I'm seeing the grades and it just makes me want to get sick. So the, the Packers should win this game. No question about it. I, I respect the, the Texans. I have since week one, and I've been saying that since week one. They're going to get better. This is not a bad football team. I mean, it, it kind of is, but I mean, the, the offense, the quarterback, the wide receivers, the the running back, one of their offensive linemen, there's plenty of talent here. They got a lot of work to do, but this team has the ability to put up 35. This team has the ability to give up 35 and still win. So again, for, for me, and I understand the injuries are a major factor in this, and I'm excited to see A.J. Dillon for the, just, just for the excitement of it, but that doesn't change things. For me, the biggest thing is the guys up front have to win. They got to win against the run. They got to win getting after the quarterback. If they can do that, the Packers walk away with this with an absolute annihilation of the Houston Texans. And we can start talking about how there was one game that was a blip, and they're back on track, and things are great. And hey, how about that defense? If they can't, I'm worried. Even if you tell me the offense is going to look great, I'm still worried because I don't know if great is good enough. So that's where I stand. And again, I I, I don't. I'm not going to say I don't care about the injuries, but that's not an excuse. The Packers, at their best, win regardless of the injuries. The Packers, not playing well, lose regardless of the injuries. I want to see the best. I'm going to leave you at that. Folks, have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.